Amen. Hey, please be seated. And uh, if you have your Bibles, this morning's passage will be in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll consider the first four verses. All right. Hey, let's, let's read. I'll read and you can follow. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, this might sound a little bit off topic, but uh, many of you know that um, I work doing like geotechnical solutions. And after the floods and after the cyclone, there have been so many slips all around the country and heaps of them here in Auckland because a lot of people live next to the coastline. So a lot of their properties have their cliffs sort of fall away. And um, what people hire us to do, this is what I do part-time, is to go and stabilize their cliffs. And the way that we do that is we drill into the cliffs uh, using a big drill, and then we put big bits of steel in there and we concrete them in, and then we put this big blanket over the cliff and that's supposed to hold it, the engineers tell us. Um, but to do this job, it requires abseiling. And um, if you don't know what abseiling is, it's when you put on a, we have to put on a full body harness and we have to descend down the cliff using our harness and the ropes and an anchor point. And we have to get into position so that we can do the work. But here's the thing. The clients don't pay us to abseil. They don't hire us so that we can lower ourselves down a cliff. What they want from us is a product that stabilizes their cliff. And all that abseiling is doing, all that getting into position is doing, is just putting us in a place where we can deliver what we have guaranteed them. We've given them a product. Could you imagine if you had electrical problems at home and you called an electrician and you said to them, hey, I've got some electrical problems. I need your help. They said, yes, yeah, sweet, I'm on my way. And then they don't turn up and knock on the door. But the next day you get an invoice and you call them and say, hey, why am I getting an invoice? You didn't do the work. And they might say, well, I just, I turned up at least. I drove to your house and then I took off. Um, and now you, you, you ought to give me the bill. You'd be shocked and you'd be, you'd, you'd be screaming on the other side of the phone saying, hey, you didn't do anything. You just arrived and that's it. And that's a lot what the truth is like. The truth is very important to know. It's very important to understand things that are true and things that are real. But if that's all you do, and if all you do is just arrive, and it has no effect on you, and you don't do anything, then what use is the truth to you? If all you have done is just understood it and that's it, you haven't gone anywhere with it, you haven't responded to it, you haven't reacted to the truth, it just seems insane that someone would be there. And if you respond to the truth of God by just saying, well, I simply have arrived and I can comprehend it at least and I can mentally assent, if that's all that you do, then all that you're doing is adding condemnation to yourself and adding judgment to yourself that you were so close to knowing these things that were real and yet you did not respond accordingly. You did not respond in the way that you ought to have responded. All that you do is you heap on judgment on your own head. And what Paul is doing in this passage is he's laying down for us massive, like the biggest bits of truth 
that we could ever know. And he's laying them down for us, that Christ has died. And if you're, you're united to him, you have died with him. That Christ has risen from the dead. And if you are united to him by faith, then you are raised from the dead. That Christ will appear in glory. And that if you are united to him by faith, you will appear in glory. These are all big truths. But they must be responded to. They must be responded to uh, in faith. And Paul even gives some really, really big instructions here. He says there in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, here's something to do. You don't just simply arrive at a truth that Christ was raised and that's it. No, you seek the things that are above where Christ is. And going on, he says in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So there, there is this instruction given by Paul. Seek the things that are above and set your minds on things that are above. And he gives us the reason why. He gives us the truth that backs all of these things, um, backs our response to the truth. So I thought we could look at um, some of these truths and then look at how we ought to respond to them. And you'll see where Resurrection Sunday fits into this and why it's so important that we understand that the resurrection is, is massive and we ought to know what it means and why it is important. So verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now, raised from what? Well, we're told that in verse three, for you have died. Um, there is this death that happens. Christ um, has been raised um, and we are to be raised with him because we have died and Christ has died. And it talks, um, it's alluding here to Christ's death because it's talking about him being raised and talking about our death. And if we're united to him, um, we share in his death. Um, so in verse three, it says here, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I wanted to maybe zoom in on that word hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ. And the reason I wanted to zoom in on that word is because your life is hidden because his life was exposed. And the reason that your life can be hidden in Christ is because his life was exposed. And what is it that your life is hidden from? Well, in Christ, your life is hidden from the wrath of God, the judgment that you fully deserve and that you ought to pay. Um, the price of your sins, the wages of your sin, the death that you deserve, you were hidden from all of those things and you were sheltered from them so that they do not fall on you, but they fall on the shelter. And the shelter here is Christ. And you are hidden in him. Uh, it's talking about this reality that you can't see. The, it's, it's actually more real than all of the things that you can see is that you're hidden in him. And you're hidden from the wrath and judgment of God. And this is important. Um, you have someone to plead your case before God because Christ had no one to plead his case before God. You have someone to be an advocate for you. You have someone to be a mediator before you because Christ had none of those things. You have someone to protect you because Christ went out unprotected. You have someone to cover you because Christ went out there uncovered. You have someone to hide you and to be hidden in because Christ went out there fully exposed to the wrath of God on the cross. And so we see uh, that Easter Friday is so important 
because that is where the penalty of sin is paid for. That is where the wrath of God falls on the shelter. And if you hide there underneath the cross, if you hide under Christ, then your life is hidden in him. And you are hidden from all of the judgment and all of the wrath. And none of that will fall on you because he is such a good shelter. And so here's this massive truth that Paul is talking about. He's talking about this uh, thing called propitiation, where judgment falls on someone else on behalf of the person who it should have fallen on, where God's wrath is satisfied in Christ so that you could be right with him. So he says that not only does he say that, but again, in verse one, he talks about if you have been raised with Christ, because Christ has been raised and we're here on Resurrection Sunday, um, commemorating and celebrating this wonderful victory that Christ had over death, that not even death could hold him down. Death has a winning streak of 100%, but when Christ came, that, that winning streak lost and it is over. Christ overturned that. Christ was the death of death. And if you follow along in verse one, it says, um, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And that's super important to note. And we've mentioned this a few times before at church, but his death was so good and so fitting. It was so perfect a sacrifice that he was risen again from the dead. And not only that, but he is now seated at the right hand of God. That right at this very moment, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And what that tells us, um, and this is alluding to the, to the book of Hebrews and all of the work that priests would do. And the job of a priest in the Old Testament, it was to make sacrifice on behalf of the people. They were supposed to stand between God and the people and give sacrifices. But their sacrifices were so incomplete and they were so incomplete that they could never, ever finish their work. They were killing things every single day, pouring out blood, just showing how much sin the people were committing. They were just spilling the blood of animals day after day after day after day. And they could never be done with their work. And it's just showing that this is just a, a huge blood fest. The people who are sinning keep on sinning. And their guilt is so bad that things have to die every single day. And so the priests, their job was never finished. They could never sit down. They could never put their feet up. They could never rest from their work because the people and their sin were just, it's just too big. And they were not good enough at being priests. And they were not, the sacrifices were also not good enough. But we see what Christ has done, that at, he only sacrificed himself once. And after the sacrifice, he is now seated at the right hand of God. And we see how big the sacrifice is. You mean that priests for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, millions and millions of sheep dying, but Christ only had to do it once at one time on the cross and everything was satisfied and everything was cleared. It shows you how powerful Christ is. It shows you how, how accepted his sacrifices were his sacrifice was. And so the resurrection really shows us that Christ and his work on Friday was accepted. Sunday is the proof that what he has done has been accepted by God. Friends, if we did not have Easter Sunday, if there was no resurrection after Friday, 
we we wouldn't be here. We we would we would be at home feeling sorry for ourselves. Paul says we would we would have to be pitied among above everyone else in the whole world if the resurrection did not take place. If the resurrection did not take place, then his sacrifice on Friday doesn't mean anything. We need the resurrection so that we can look back at Friday and say, man, it, it was perfect. Everything has been done. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he was telling the truth. I know that because he is raised and God has raised them again. And so you see how important the, uh, the resurrection is. And not only that, but Paul points us forward to this reality. He says in verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, this is referencing something that we have not yet experienced. It is something that God looks at us and we are positioned in glory. And it is, it is as good as sealed. The Bible talks about it that way, that this glorification that will happen when you will be in heaven forever with Jesus and he is glorified, that is as good as happened already. And so the Bible almost in some places speaks of it in the past tense, saying that it's, it's as good as happened. His sacrifice and his resurrection were so good that his glorification is a guarantee. And if he is going to be raised, he will not be raised without his people. So therefore, we can look at this with such comfort that if we have been united to Christ in faith, that we will be raised with him again. So there are these big, huge truths that are laid down here, um, given to the church at Colossae. And Paul is saying to them, big doctrine. Christ has died for sinners. The wrath of God poured out on him. And if you are united to him by faith, then your life is hidden in him. And you are safe and secure in Christ from anything. Um, and then he goes on to say about the resurrection. Then you are, if you are raised with him, he has been raised. He has new life. And we might think of those um, Bible verses that, that are so important. You, you remember uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is in reference to this. You, you have a new life. You've been raised from the dead. And then this wonderful glorification where we will see all of this reality physically and in person. We, we will see it. It won't be hidden and invisible, but it'll be, uh, it will appear. So those are the big truths. And these are the reasons that Paul gives his instructions in verse 1 and verse 2. So now he's given you the theological basis. He's given you the doctrinal basis. He's giving you the truth. Now, what will you do with that truth? Will you say, oh, well, that's cool to know. Let me go on about my day. Or is there some response uh, that, that you must give? Is there, is there some reaction that you must give? Is it enough to say, hey, I know about the resurrection. I know about, uh, I know about the death of Christ and I know about glorification. Um, I, can, I can understand those things and I have those theological truths. It is not enough to just arrive at those truths. Something must happen. And this is uh, the encouragement that Paul gives, the exhortation that he gives to the people at Colossae. Verse 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, if it's true that this has happened, since it's true that it's happened, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
So why does Paul give these instructions? Because of those big truths that we've already considered. Why does he say, set your minds on things that are above? Well, because you are dead to the things that are below. You are dead to the things on earth. And we speak that way, don't we? I mean, if you're a Warriors supporter, I feel real sorry for you. Um, because, you know, people have gotten to the place where they're like, okay, I'm going rabbitos because the Warriors are dead to me. Um, they've just put me through so much. We say that, don't we, in, in relationships where, where there's turmoil and, and there's heartbreak between people and we say, you are dead to me. What you're saying is, I, I'm, I'm cut off from you. Me and you no longer share life together. And what Paul is saying here in this verse is when he's saying, seek the things that are above, you seek them because you are dead to the things that are here on this world. You don't belong in this world. And you belong to a, a much greater reality than this. Not only are we dead to the things here in this world, and, and Paul gives us this instruction, but we are alive to something else. We have been raised with Christ to new life. He's saying that there is a, a kingdom far better than this one that our minds ought to, ought to ponder and wonder about and desire and have our affections stirred towards. And you might remember Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So how do, we, how do we seek the things that are above? Well, Matthew helps us. We seek them first. There ought to be a prioritization in our lives where we seek first the kingdom of God. And what Paul is saying here when he says seek these things, he's saying these are the main things. These are the things that come before everything else. These things are imperatives. These things are important above everything else, more important than work, more important than family, more important than leisure, more important than fun, more important than travel. Seek first the kingdom. Remember that you are a pilgrim in this world. Remember that this is a, a traveling spot for you and you ought to feel some homesickness and you ought to look forward to heaven in that way. Look forward to this glory as if you, you are here away from your home, just longing and waiting to get back. Have you ever felt homesick before? Have you ever been away from your family and from your land before and, and you just missed it so much? That is how we ought to feel about heaven. That is what seeking looks like. It is being homesick for heaven. And so he gives us uh, that wonderful truth. And maybe what, what, what will be helpful to you is, is Hebrews. Um, if you go to the 11th chapter, and you can do this later if you'd like to, um, don't do that now. Um, in verse 16, um, the author of Hebrews is talking about people who are like this, who are looking forward to something else. And he says, as it is, they look forward to a better country, a heavenly one. And because that, that is what they do, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he is preparing a place for them, a city for them. So there is a better country than this one. It is a heavenly country, and we ought to be longing for it. And then the other reason is because it will come, and it will be a reality. And so he's telling us, look forward to what will actually happen. You're not looking forward to a hypothetical. You're not looking forward to a, 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 a I wish this would happen. Or, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could live in a heaven like this? He's saying, this is actually going to happen, so look forward to it. Here is, here is something you can put your hope in, that Christ will be glorified and he will not be glorified without you if you are united to him by faith. So those are the, the big things. 
And, and those are the responses that we're called to have in light of these wonderful truths and in, in light of these Easter truths and this future glory that will happen. And so to turn it on us and to ask, and to ask the question is, um, are you seeking the things that are above? Have you set your minds on the things that are above? And how are you doing that? You know, if you reflect over your week, um, you know, can, can you just point to the places where you, you reflect and go, you know, God was gracious to me and, and he was helping me to seek first his, his kingdom in, in this area and in this place and in this part of my week. Now, are you seeking first the kingdom? And are you, are you seeking things that are above and not things that are here on earth? And what's uh, another thing that I want to say to you is, um, you know, life is, life is full of preferences. We prefer things over other things. You know, everyone's here dressed in a certain top um, because they preferred it over another top. Or everyone's um, driving a certain car because of whatever reason. But we, we just make decisions based on preference. I prefer this thing over the other thing. And I prefer this thing over that thing. And I can understand if it's between two tops. You know, if, you, if you think, should I wear this top or should I wear this top? I can understand if you can struggle between those two um, decisions. But what Paul is putting before us is not, is not two different tops. But he's putting before us something that we ought to just look at and go, really, can I, can, is that actually a place where I can be? Would God actually do this for me? He's, he's putting next to each other mud and the finest cuisine you could ever think of. And he's saying, you know, it should be obvious, but seek first this thing that is far greater than anything else we could ever imagine. Seek this thing first. Seek this thing above all of these little things. And the problem is not that God is not enough. The problem is not that God and, and, and his promises are not good enough. The problem is that we often have appetites that are just so tiny. Isn't that true? He's presenting to us something huge, something that we could um, not even fully enjoy, something that is so big that it will take forever and ever and ever for us to enjoy. And I can't exaggerate how good it's going to be. And he's contrasting that with something that is so temporary and small. And the problem is sometimes that we have an appetite that is satisfied with little things. And small things. And he's saying, no, have an appetite that's too big for this world. Have an appetite that is too big for money. Have an appetite that is just too big for whatever relationship outside of God. Ha have an appetite that's too big for your other little ambitions to do in this world. And seek first all of these glorious and wonderful things based on these truths that have been laid down. So Easter. And the resurrection ought to lead us to a place where we think, man, why would I want anything less than what God is promising if I am united to Christ by faith? If I, could, if I can die with him and be raised with him and, and see glory with him, be in glory with him, everything else is tiny compared to that. And so there's something for you to reflect on. Reflect on whether those things are, are true. Now, the truth is there. You must respond and um, examine yourselves to see where you are in that regard. Okay, let's pray.
Lord, thank you so much for the glorious truth that has been laid down by the apostle. And Lord, we thank you for the hiddenness that we have in Christ, the security that we have being hidden in him, the security from judgment, the security from wrath, and, and, and that we can have this wonderful reality that is even greater than this one ahead of us. Thank you, Lord, for his death uh, that was enough and that was more than enough to cover for our sin. So help us to be led, Lord, to trust in the cross in that way. And Lord, thank you for his resurrection, where he was raised to life, defeating death. Help us, Lord, then to be raised with him. And Lord, thank you for the glory that is to be revealed. Thank you for the consummation that will happen. Thank you, Lord, that everything will be done. And it is pretty much guaranteed. And we, all, we are just in the process of waiting for it to happen. Because of that, Lord, help us to hope. Help us to look forward to this future glory. And Lord, um, help us in this tension between these two times of Christ dying and being raised and him coming again. Lord, as we are here in this place, not yet seeing glory, but have been justified uh, through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, help us here to be sanctified. Help us here to be made more like Christ. Help us to seek more and more those wonderful and glorious things and help us, Lord, to put to death all of those little things, all of the, all of the natural things in this world that we are so drawn to uh, because of our sinfulness. Help us, Lord, to lay them down. And help us to lift our eyes and lift our affections. And even when we are resting, when there's no distractions, let our minds drift towards heaven. Let our minds think of heavenly things. We'll do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.